But if you have your Bibles this morning, like I said, we're not going to uh, we're not going to be long today. Uh, but these are very familiar scriptures uh, that you can uh, that we've read many many times. We're going to be in the Book of Genesis, the Book of Genesis, chapter twenty-two. And I would ask you to stand as we uh, read God's Word this morning <clears throat> in, in Genesis chapter twenty-two. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to start reading at verse 3. <clears throat> I said, I think we all know this story. In Genesis chapter 22, this is Abraham and Isaac. And so we're going to start reading in verse 3. It says that, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son... And clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now verse 5 is what we're going to be concentrating on, but we'll come back to it. But we're going to read it now. It says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Verse 6 says, And Abraham took the wood of the, of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they both went of them, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then verse 8 says, And Abraham said, my, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went together, went both of them together. And may God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> so we all know this story. God, there in verses 1 and 2, it says that God had tempted or is testing Abraham. God is saying, I want you to take Isaac. Now, just think about this. Put this in your mind, especially if you're a parent. Think about this. God goes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, Isaac, to a place I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice your son on the altar. Now, just think about that for a second. What a test of Abraham's faith, that he is to take Isaac, his only son, his promised son, and of course, God had already promised Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, and Abraham is, he is the father of actually of two nations. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, and Abraham is also the father of what we would call the Islamic nation. Because even the Muslims recognize Abraham as their father, just like the Jewish people do. And so that's one reason why there's such strife, because basically you've got two brothers, one the Jewish side, one the Islamic side, they're fighting. They've been fighting for years, and they'll continue to fight because they're nothing but brothers fighting against each other. But we have this test, 
And if you read through this, and if you just skim over it, you really don't read much into it. But there's a few things I want us to see first that if we just kind of really skip through it, you won't get the, the beautiful picture that we get in here. First of all, there in verse, in, in verse 3 and also in verse 5, we, number one, in all these verses we see a picture of the cross. We see, number one, in verse 3, there, were, there was Abraham. Abraham represents God the Father. Isaac represents the Son. And, of course, we remember that there was Jesus. What did he ride in to Jerusalem on? On a donkey. We have a donkey here. We also have two men. How many men were there hanging on the cross in between, where Jesus was in between? There was two. We have these two men that are going along with Abraham and Isaac. And they, they come to this place that God has showed them. We know that, and in fact, it's Mount Moriah. Here, if you read on down, they actually call it Jehovah Jireh. And it's said, many scholars believe, and I also believe it too, that this is either the exact spot or very near the exact spot that Jesus would be crucified on this same hill that Isaac was to be sacrificed on. Would be one day where Jesus would be sacrificed on the old rugged cross. But we see there that when they got to the place, Abraham tells the two, two men, you stay back. Abraham said, Isaac and I are going to go up to this place that God has told us. And we see this word there in verse 5. He says that we're going we're gonna to worship. This is the first time, and many of you may remember several weeks ago on Wednesday night we talked about this. This is the first time in the Bible that the word worship is mentioned. The first time. And what is the law of first mention? You can always know what the intent or what the purpose is behind that word if you go back to the very first time it was used. Anytime you are questioning or whatever, what does this word mean in Scripture? Look and see what it was the very first time that was ever used. You will get the original intent. But we'll get back to worship because that's what we're going to talk about today is worship. But then we have that Abraham, they get the supplies. And what does he do with the wood? He lays it on Isaac's back. What does Jesus carry? up Golgotha's hill, his own cross, a wooden cross, on his back, up the hill, just like Jesus did. So again, this is not just a picture of a dad and a son going up on a hill and, <clears throat> and God has tempted Abra or tested Abraham. This is a picture of the cross. And this is apparently not, it's not like this is the first time apparently that they've ever done a burnt offering because Isaac says, we've got the wood, We've got the knife. We've got everything we need. But where's the sacrifice? And we know that Abraham comes back and says, God will provide himself. And we know that we're not going to read the verses about when they got up on the hill, Abraham ties Isaac up, lays him on the wooden altar, and is getting ready to kill his son, and the angel comes and stops him, and God says, I know now 
that you are faithful. I know that you're obedient. You are willing to sacrifice your only son because I've, I've asked you to. And what do they see caught? Again, very beautiful picture of the cross. What do they see caught in the thorns? They see a ram, not a lamb. Remember, that's a very big distinction. It was a ram caught by its horns in the thorn bush. What was around Jesus' head? A crown of thorns. He was the lamb of God. That's why that Abraham said in verse 8, if you go back and look at verse 8, God will provide himself a what? A lamb. Now, a ram was provided that day instead of Isaac that was to be offered up. But God did provide a lamb, his only begotten son, who would be the sacrifice for us, for our sins. So don't just read through these scriptures like we do sometimes. Read through, oh, that's an old, good old, old Testament story. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture, a foretelling of the coming of Jesus Christ in almost exact detail that Jesus had to go through. And what a beautiful scene. But what I want to talk about today is worship. Go back to verse 5. It says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. It says, and come again to you. Now, what does that say about Abraham? God has, in verse 1, has tempted Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, to the place that I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice him on the, on the altar. But here, now there is nowhere in these verses that say that Abraham tried to, well, God, I don't know, but how am I going to be the father of many nations if you take away my son? And We don't see any questioning. We don't see any doubt. We basically go from... God tempting and testing Abraham to them just rising up and going. It wasn't a question of whether he was going to do it. Abraham was going to follow God. But here in this verse it says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we're going to come again to you. So what is worship? <clears throat> well, first of all, if we look up the definition of worship, it's, it's very interesting, but if you look up the word worship, and this is from the, everybody like, knows that I like to go back to the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary, which is the first edition Noah Webster Dictionary. The definition of worship is to adore, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with su supreme respect. It also means to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Don't we thought, this is exactly what he is doing. And so to perform acts of adoration. So it's all about these respect, honor. Uh, it's honor with extravagant love. It's a supreme uh, submission. We see all these things. First of all, let's define what worship is not. And this is very interesting. Because I think today's society we have worship, we think of worship in the wrong way. Number one, worship is not the little five-minute thing we do, praise and worship here at the beginning of the service. I love Eric, and I appreciate Eric, because I know Eric, those songs that he selects, those songs that he brings forth for us to do praise, I know he's thought about them, he's prayed about them. They are songs of worship. I'm not saying that music and songs are not part of worship. 
So don't say I'm not I'm saying anything again. I'm not saying I'm saying that is not worship though. It is a part of worship. Music, singing is a part of worship. But it's not worship. Worship is not emotions. And this is where I think we as we as people, especially as Christians, we think if there if in a, a service is emotional that we've worshiped. Emotions may be part of things you experience because of worship, but emotions does not translate to worship. So don't get that wrong. I think so many times we, we go to maybe a, you know, we go to football games, we get emotional, but we're not worshiping those football players or basketball players or things like that. We may have emotions involved, just like if we're in church. If you raise your hands and shout or, or do those things that we think are, and I'm not saying those things are wrong, they are. They will come from a heart of worship. But just because you're, somebody's raising their hands or shouting or doing things like that don't mean that they're necessarily worshiping. It could just be them doing those things. So be careful not to think that just because you're singing a song or because you're doing those things that you think that these emotions that you have define your, your worship. No, they don't. They come from worship, but they are not worship in and of themselves. And so we see this very clearly. So I want to read another verse. And I think Jesus, sometimes if you want to see what uh, the word of God has to say, let's go look and see what Jesus Christ actually said. You remember he was at the, he was at the well, and he was talking to the woman at the well, and he had told the woman about her life. And she started talking about, well, we have been told that, you know, our fathers went up into the mountains or into the temples to worship and things like that. Well, Jesus, he, here he comes back and he tells us what true worship is. It says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what are we saying? We've got to realize what, a lot, what Jesus saw a lot back in those days. He saw the Sadducees and the Pharisees have their nice clothes on, pomp, and, you know, they would stand up, and it was all what? A show. It was all exterior. In fact, he called them snakes, vipers. How is that an attitude of worship if you're calling the ones who should have been the ones that are presenting worship? Here you have the ones who know the Bible, the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees. They know the Bible. They know what worship should be. But all they're concerned about is what they look like on the outside. And that's what a lot of people think. As long as I look good, as long as I'm doing those things that exemplify worship then it must be going on right in my heart but that wasn't the case with the scribes and pharisees god said in their heart they were nothing but vipers nothing but snakes so just because they looked good on the outside and they were doing the things that seemed what should have been pleasing but jesus comes up and says there will be the day is coming where you will worship me in spirit and in truth that's the inside. Your spirit is on the inside. 
Truth is on the inside. Too many times we put up the facade on the outside. We want to make people think, oh yes, I'm singing. I'm following on with Eric. I'm singing, worthy is the lamb. I'm worshiping. But your heart is far from worship. You can sing all you want to. You can pray all you want to. You can raise your holy hands in the sanctuary, as the Bible tells you. You can do all those external things that you want to, but that doesn't mean that there's a heart of worship going on in the actual heart, in the spirit. God wants you to worship him from the inside. And so we have to be careful when we do worship that we are worshiping him in spirit and truth from the inside. That verse came, the verses came back to me where Jesus was talking about how there was the, the Sadducee or the Pharisee was standing up one day in the temple and you had the sinner man. He was off in the corner. He couldn't even look up. He was such a sinner. And what does the Pharisee say? He, he puffs his chest out. God, I thank you that I am not like this publican. That's the way a lot of times we want to think about it. But that simple prayer of that publican meant more than all the external of that Pharisee had going on. He, that publican, in his humility, bowed down. In fact, if you read a lot of times, there, the word worship, worshiped, is found like over 180 times in the Word of God. And in most of the cases, not all the cases, where it's talking about it, it's talking about being bowed, bowed down, head and face on the ground, bowing, being humble, submissive, as one of our def definitions was, submissive before the Lord. That's getting in a heart of worship. And so I found this article, and I'm not going to read the article, but <clears throat> they, he had some, it's uh, from Philip Wagner. It's called Six Essential Reasons Why Worship Matters. And he even says this here. He says, often we allow personal distractions to get in the way. Sometimes we go to church, but we don't worship. We sing songs, but we don't worship. We listen to sermons, but we don't worship. We serve in a ministry area, but we don't worship. All these things are elements of worship, as we've done said, but they are not worship in and of themselves, which means that you could do all these things and yet fail to truly worship God. So just being here this morning doesn't mean anything. It's good that we come into the house of God. It's good that we can worship collectively as a group of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. But just because we're here, doesn't, and just because we might sing and pray a little bit and preach a little bit, that doesn't mean what is our heart. That's what God is looking for. What is, why, why are you doing I've always said whenever we stand before God, when you as a Christian stand before the judgment seat of Christ, sin is not going to be, sin was taken care of at the cross. It was nailed to the cross. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, all your sins, past, present, future, were nailed to the cross. It's going to be, what was, why did you do the things you did? Your servitude. Why did you serve in the capacity you did? Why did you do the things you did? Eddie, why did you get up on Sunday morning, that Sunday morning, and talk about worship? 
Were you doing it just to make people feel bad, to make yourself look good or whatever? No. What was the reason you did what you did? What was the reason you went to church? Are you just going to church just because it's Sunday, it's time to go to church? Or did you, are you at church because you want to worship God in spirit and in truth? But he mentioned six reasons. And when I read these, they were so powerful. <clears throat> it says the first reason is that worship involves surrendering of our lives. Worship involves surrendering of our lives. We want to be in control. Surrendering our life to anyone or anything is contrary to our natural human concept. We want to be in control. But the Bible says this in Romans, in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1, says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, <clears throat> sorry, my, my throat is getting there. <clears throat> I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, now listen, what did they go up on that mountain to do? What was Abraham going to do to Isaac? He was going to sacrifice him. A physical sacrifice. It says, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Just reasonable. It's nothing out of the way. It's nothing extraordinary. This is just your reasonable service to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's what it says, worship involves surrendering of our lives. We are to lay ourselves on the altar and say, God, I am presenting my body to you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. So that was the first thing that he mentioned. Worship involves surrendering of yourself. Second, worship is putting our focus on him. Again, I think this is where sometimes... We fail in worship. We want people to worship us. Do we not? Do we not see that in the world today? People, athletes, people want to be worshipped. Oh, look how great I am. Look how many things I do. And they want basically to be worshipped. But here it says worship is putting our focus on him. On him, on who? On God. What was this whole act, this whole thing that he was doing, that Abraham was doing? He was doing it, putting his focus on God. God had asked him, take your son Isaac, go up on this mountain I'm going to show you, and offer him up. He was surrendering, his, Abraham was surrendering his life. God, I'm going to do what you have asked me to do, even though this is my son that will take on and carry on and build the Jewish nation. But I'm going to focus on you and what you've asked me to do, and I'm going to surrender. He's focused on him. Worship involves, and this is a one that a lot of times we have a hard time with. Worship involves getting out of the way. Getting out of the way. We want it to be our way in our time. And God says, when you worship, you got to get out of the way. You got to get out of the way. Surrender yourself, focus on me, and then get out of my way. So many times 
There are so many things that God wants to do for us and through us, but we get in his way. You say, well, God's a big God. Yeah, God is a great God. He can do anything. There's a verse in the Bible, and I wish I had brought it up, but it talked about Israel limiting God. You say, how could it? By their unfaithfulness. Because they, did, they, were, they were in the way. Too many times you want to do what you want to do. You, want to, you think it should be carried on this way. You think it should be done this way. How does God want it done? Get out of God's way and let God work the way that he sees fit. And that's how worship is to be. Surrendering ourselves, our lives, focusing on him, and then get out of his way. And have faith. Abraham had the faith in that one verse, verse 5, to say, me and the lad are going to go worship, and then we're going to come back. Now, nowhere in those verses before did God, had God said, okay, I'm just doing this to test you, Abraham, you know, that this is just a play. We're just going to go up there and see. No. Abraham knew full and well if that angel had not stopped him. Abraham had the knife above his head and was coming down to kill his only son. If that angel had not stopped him, Abraham would have sacrificed his son on the altar. But Abraham got out of the way, did what God wanted, and then God moved in a way that only God could. Then next we have <clears throat> worship involves personal sacrifice. In that verse we see in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, we see that, says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. It's a personal thing. Now, we come together collectively. We worship God collectively as a group of believers. And that is good for us to come together because we can uplift one another. Maybe you're down. Maybe you're having a hard week. Maybe you're having something going, that you're going through. And it's, maybe it's hard for you to worship. But you get collectively together with a group of believers. And, and we per, each one of us can personally worship and we can help. But we have to do it personally. I can't make you worship. You can't make me worship. Because worship is a personal sacrifice. And then I love the next one he said, we must worship in the face of pain and loss. See, it's easy to worship. Oh, we'll come to church. Everything is going great. Nothing is wrong in our life. The money's good. Health is good. Family is good. Everything is good. It's easy to have a heart of worship when everything is going good. This is not the case. Again, if we go back to the law of first mention, what is this worship going on here? Abraham has been asked to sacrifice his only son. He loved his son. Just like you would love your son and your daughter if God asked you to do the same thing. This would be... Your heart would be heavy. I'm sure Abraham, the whole way that they were going up there, I'm sure his heart was heavy. I'm sure he was probably thinking, God, this is my only son. 
This is my only son you're asking me to sacrifice. So when we face pain, loss, trials, temptations, yes, those are the hardest times to worship, but those are when we need to worship the most. As most of you know, especially if you follow me on Facebook, I announced a few weeks ago, I have prostate cancer. And yes, hearing that news is something you don't want to hear. I don't care who you are hearing that word, it hits you. But I've made a determination, and I've said it in my videos that I posted, that I had a piece. In fact, Jolene and I were talking Sunday. I, I love Sister Jolene. She and I were talking you know, about her wonderful news about how God is lowering her numbers. You can't say it's medicine because she hasn't taken treatments for several weeks. God is reducing that, those cancer cells. God is making those things smaller. <clears throat> and so I, and it's like she had, when she finally came to that decision, she and I were talking about this. When she finally made that decision not to take more treatments, she had a peace about it. And that's how I've been this whole time ever since that doctor said, Eddie, you got prostate cancer. Okay, what are we going to do about it? I have a doctor's appointment this week. And basically we got to decide what we're going to do about it. God can take that cancer away out of my body. I have no ifs, ands, buts about it. It, it could be gone by the time I get to our wisdom. But if not, it's like I said, if, I have, if this has to be my fiery furnace, just like I used the example of the three Hebrew boys, if this is my fiery furnace that God is allowing me to go through, then I'll have that fourth man in the fire, just like those three Hebrew boys did. I'll have him with me, no matter what decision I make, no matter what it is. And I will worship him through the whole thing. Whether it's godly, supernatural, miraculous intervention, or whether it's through a doctor or whatever else. God will use who he wants to use. God's will will be done and I will be satisfied with that. I will, put, I will personally sacrifice. I will get out of the way. I've gotten out of the way. I, haven't, I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. Is it something i got to deal with? Yes. But I'm getting out of his way and letting him do what he knows how to do. Whether it's through him or through some doctor. Whatever. That's my way of worshiping him through this situation. But we must worship in the face of pain and loss. <clears throat> and then the last reason why worship is so essential, and I think this is too many times we take for granted all the things that God has done for us. Each one of us got up this morning, might not have felt that good, might have had a few bones crack and you know, muscles tight, and like me and Eric, our head feels like somebody's, feels like it's about this big. In fact, yesterday, I wanted to come to the thing yesterday so bad, but <laughs> the head was just did not cooperating. And I said, God, I, I said yesterday, I'm going I'm to take me some medicine, I'm going to lay around all day, because I, I am going to present God's word tomorrow. It may not sound, my voice may not sound good, my voice may crack, whatever. I'm going to present God's word tomorrow. God, you just got to give me the strength to get up there and do that. But too many times we forget about what he, what he has done. And worship 
is celebrating who God is and what God has done. And I want to read this. Keep this. Memorize Psalms 100. Just memorize it to where you can quote it. Psalms 100 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastures. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth, remember we said spirit and truth, his truth endureth to all generations. All generations. Too many times we forget the blessings, the goodness that we have each and every day that God gives us. I'm not saying every day is going to be easy. God never promised you it was going to be easy. I think too many people think just because you're a Christian, you're supposed to have the perfect life, the perfect family, the perfect job, the perfect day-to-day, the perfect body, no, no health problems. God never promised you any of that, any of it. He simply said, I'll be with you. I'll stick it closer to you than a brother. I'll be with you always. And because of his goodness, because of his mercy, because of the grace that he bestows upon us every day, worship is celebrating who God is and what he's done. We should never, ever forget to worship God. This is, a, this is like I read earlier. It's a continuous thing. We should worship God continually. Continually. Good times, bad times. When you're driving down the road and that person cuts you off and you just got that road, just worship God. Thank him. Thank him that you didn't, weren't in a wreck. That this crazy driver didn't cause you to wreck or something. Thank, be thankful. Be thankful for God for what he has done in your life. So, to go back... We should worship. Worship involves surrendering our, surrendering our life. Worship involves putting our focus on him. Worship involves getting out of the way. It involves personal sacrifice. We must worship in the face of pain and loss. And we must worship who God is and what he has done. So let's remember what worship, worship is. Here in these verses... First time the word worship is ever used. We don't see no band. There's no band up there on Mount Moriah. Let's, let's sing worthy as a lamb up here on Mount. There's no big band. There's no music. There's no singing. It was just Abraham and Isaac worshiping God, doing, getting out of the way of what, doing what God had asked them to do. And just like Abraham said, we'll come again. The lad and I will come again. I'm believing in God. I'm going to go, we're going to worship God, and we will come again. And sometimes that's a hard thing to worship, is that, am I coming back again? Is this going to be my time? But you know what? 
you know, we just had Sister Iva Jean's funeral last week, beautiful funeral service for a beautiful life. You know, but he, even up in the end, I know Trent was talking about, he went and saw her there in the hospital. She was ready to go see Jesus. <clears throat> and what a time to where you can finally see us. In this old body of ours, sometimes because of the physical things, things like that, worship can be hard. But just think about what she's seeing. She's able to worship in an unhindered body, an immortal body, incorruptible body. She's able to fully worship in a way that we can't do right now. She can, and all those that have passed on before us who were believers in Jesus Christ, now that they stand before God, they can truly worship. And that's what the, it actually says that those four and 24 elders do, and the, they cry 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Holy, holy, holy. That's all they do. 24-7. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they're doing is worshiping. Worshiping 24-7. We should worship 24-7. Good times, bad times. I'm going to ask them to come, get an invitational number ready. Whatever they want to do. <clears throat> I know it's going to be a cappella, but it'll be good. Let's all stand this morning. <clears throat> stand to our feet this morning. And just think about, maybe you want to come to this altar. Maybe you just want to worship God for what he's done. Maybe you just want to give thanks unto him for what he's done in your life. <clears throat> Whatever it may be. Just worship. Just worship him as they sing. <clears throat>